Welcome to the Mission Matters podcast, celebrating the people and initiatives that embody the Jesuit tradition of St. Louis University, celebrating what matters in the 200-year-old-plus mission that is St. Louis U, brought to you from the Office of Mission and Identity. time of pandemic, sometimes it feels better to know that we're not alone, to know that I'm not the only one struggling with isolation, or that everyone else is experiencing the same weariness, the same fears, the same distress in some sense that all of us are feeling, that we are having one common human experience all across the globe. So what does it mean to say that we are unique in the eyes of God. Each of us has unique gifts, talents, relationships, and experiences that can never be repeated, either earlier in history or into the future. So when we talk about our uniqueness in the eyes of God, our uniqueness to one another, it means that the gifts we've been given, the experiences we've had, the relationships in our lives, all of these work together And as Mary Oliver asks, tell me, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? So welcome back to Mission Matters. We are happy to have today Dr. Ghazala Hyatt, who is the Director of Neuromuscular and Clinical Neurophysiology, that's a mouthful, (laughs) and also Continuous Quality at Care. So welcome, Dr. Hayat, and please tell us something about yourself. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to talk to our community at large. Um, So I have been at St. Louis University since 1986. It's almost 36 years. Um, I came because one of my faculty members became chairperson here and I was starting my residency, I'm sorry, fellowship at that time. And he offered me to come here. And I moved to USA in 1980. Okay. Okay. Where I'm originally from Pakistan. So where I was born, we used to have snow, but so it's not that I was not exposed to snow, but I never liked snow all my life and still doesn't, still don't like it. Oh, dear. And so when I was doing my residency, I put a line through the map of USA and I said, I'm going to live south of that. So Dr. Selhos, who became chairperson, he said, why don't you come and interview? And I said, no, St. Louis is above that line. I'm not coming. Oh, oh. So he said, no, no, it doesn't snow that much here. Just please come and interview at least once. I said, okay. And it's amazing. Um, I came, it was end of 85, beginning of 86. When I landed, there was actually more than a foot snow, which is already. So I remember Dr. Selhos was just very, oh, no, no, it doesn't happen that way all the time. You know, this is unusual. And I said, okay, I trust you. So I, I remember came. that storm. I was not prepared. So he had to give me his daughter's snowshoes. I mean, oh luckily we fit and then came here. And I've been here since um, end of June, 1986. So I've started my all my practical life here at St. Louis University. I did my residency in, I still call it Medical College of Virginia, which mm-hmm. is now Virginia Commonwealth University. 
I did my residency and fellowship in neuromuscular diseases and electrodiagnosis there. And as I said, that's how I moved here. So I've lived all my life practically. People ask me, it must be, this place must be, you like it very much. And I always say, there's not any place in the world which is perfect. It's just what's more positive. That's what, so I would say for sure there are many more positive at SLU, my experiences also many years. And I'm happy to be, I'm privileged to be here. That's amazing. So how did you get into your field of study in the first place? You mean medicine or neurology or what? Well, either one. Okay. So medicine is an amazing story. That was decided for me even before I was born. Okay. Oh, so my my mom wanted to be a doctor. And at that time, you know, it was, no, you're going to get married and go home be a housewife. So my mom was actually very progressive concerning that time. She kind of, when she was getting married, she kind of challenged my, her mom. She said, well, I'm going to send my first child, no matter it's boy or girl, to med school, which was King Edward Medical College. It was like one of the top in subcontinent. And that's where she wanted to go. And she said, I'm going to send my child there. So literally, it's literally my first memory of my life is you'll be a doctor and you're going to go to King Edward College. I mean, that's there was nothing else. I have another sister younger than me and two other brothers. And my mom said they can do whatever, but you have to be a doctor and you have to go there. I mean, it was not was very competitive, but my mom, I mean. God bless her soul. She passed away almost 19 years ago. She just worked hard with all of us. And I did go to this college, King Edward, where she wanted. So, And I did actually, in Pakistan, I did two years of OBGYN because I liked it a lot. Then I came to States in 1980. And one thing about OBGYN was that they told me that you have to deliver all the babies by yourself. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So that means, you know, you know, babies, most of the time they come 2 a.m. or <laughs> and uh, back home in Pakistan, when I was a resident, I delivered practically most of the normal deliveries for my attendings. I mean, they just came in only if there was a complication or we called them. It was rare. Okay. I said, I cannot all my life be have that kind. So then I started looking into different programs. I had applied for that and I saw a position at Medical College of Virginia for neurology. To be honest, they know it. I said, I never thought about being a neurologist, but I want to work. I want to get into the system and see how it is. And I went there with open mind. And within one month, I fell in love with neurology. I've always been, and now I know exactly why, although I became a doctor, but my best subjects were like math, physics, you know, anywhere which is calculation or two plus two is four. And neurology is a lot like that, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, if the lesion is there, that's what you should see or most of the time. If you're mm-hmm. not seeing, look for something, what are the, you know, things that you're missing. So I just, and I never looked back. I think my fate took me there and I'm happy there. And the same thing with neurophysiology, which is much more numbers like, you know, how slow or fast your nerves are working, conduction in the brain, your muscles, how they're working. It practically almost like fit into that kind of so I like that I did fellowship in that. And I'm, I'm glad that I had great mentors who taught me about neurophysiology, neuromuscular disorders. It sounds from me, who is in ministry and theology, and I was a math major in college, but most of my studies have all been in the humanities. So it sounds very complex 
to me and very specialized. I mean, even your title is a little intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it's complex. But that's what it is like. Once you start understanding it, it's just like for me, I could never understand how NASA people work. You know, it just blows my mind and looking at it and I say, okay, this telescope, how did this end? How did they know it's going to? I mean, once they understand that complex, I think that's their. So that's the same thing is about neurology for any other. I mean, if you like it, I think you find a way of learning about it. Of course. So talk to us a little bit about this continuous quality role that you have. What exactly is that about and how does it play out at Care? So it's actually for the whole school of medicine. Okay. okay. So this position was created 2017. Uh, we created after our medical school, there were citations, everything. So continuous quality. Basically, um, I think we don't think about it, but continuous quality improvement, practically we all do it, right? What I did last year, how I'm going to improve it, or what I did last month, or I did this, it didn't work. But this one is much more objective. So we look at it clinical practice. Mm -hmm. We'll look at under medical, medical educations, medical students. We'll look at the mm -hmm. trainees, which are residents and fellows. We'll look at our research programs. We look at the administration. So we look at the strategic plan and see what we are planning to or what we hope to accomplish in so many years. And then we come up with the metrics and establish criteria. So at least every year we're looking at, okay, we are doing it. Yeah, we're successful. If we are not successful, then we look at what are the barriers and how we can improve it. So then I take that data to Dean or whoever the stakeholder and see how we can improve it. So it's, we meet every week. We have a council, which we have leaders from different uh, aspects. We have leaders from medical school. We have leaders from graduate training program. We have leaders from research, from administration, clinical practice. So everybody from this, they look at from different perspective. And I've been amazed how, let's say, for example, clinical practice question. And we get a lot of good information or suggestion, let's say from a researcher. You know, if you are in that sphere, sometimes it's like you don't even see those things. A researcher might say, oh, you can do this and improve it. Or right. administration and finance might say, oh, if you did that. And every year, we're just hoping that we're improving. If we something we're doing excellent, then I just try to do it, which my kids also complain all my life that if you excel in something, I will just raise the bar a little bit higher, you know, just go yes. and achieve something better than that. Yes. It's good that we're happy with achieving what we're, but we just raise the bar from there. So that's how, and that's just like every day, every week, every month, every year, we should look at it, how we're doing it and where we can improve for, which is according to permission. You know, how, how I'm hearing that this morning is, is as a dovetail to the Ignatian practice of the examine in Ignatian spirituality. So, so I am in the office of mission and identity, of course, and the examine is all about pausing a moment to examine how your day has been, how God has been working in that, what you've noticed, maybe what you haven't noticed and how you can do better in the future. That, that exactly you're right that that's what we do that's what we so do. this entire program or initiative of continuous 
quality improvement. quality improvement. That's right. Sounds like an examine for the med school. It's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> that, that's great. Yeah. I mean, that, as I said, we do it in our personal life, in our social life, for sure. all the institutions, the embracing CQI. Wonderful. That's very impressive. Thank you. So I am certain that everyone who might be listening to this wants to hear about how how you all are doing. This has been a tremendously challenging time. And as we are recording this right now, uh, it is the week before the students come back to the North Campus, but I know the med students have already been doing their thing. The clinics have been started uh, and Omicron is raging. So how are you all? Well, um, it's an uphill task. Um, There are lots of challenges, but everybody I talk to, or most, I would say, you know, I cannot speak for everybody. Collective is that we're going to keep on working and we're going to provide the best possible care in the safest possible way of doing it to, to our patients. The here is just not only patient care. We have teaching, you know, we're looking at it, the research and then administration, all those things are connected to each other. And those are all important. One of the students, uh, you know, it just kind of, I, I met with him this last Friday because um, I finished what we call inpatient service. So I was just going over the feedback. So I asked him some simple question that, okay, in, you know, in second year, you're taught this, which is usually we do in person, you know, in the class or small groups. And he said, you know, we didn't have that. That was all virtual. It just hit me. You know, that's like all my life or as a physician, that's part of how you're learning. And I say, for them, there's some part of their life is just affected to that extent. But then I was so encouraged that when I was working with him, I did not get the feeling at all that there was something missing in that group of students, you know. So they have caught up, whatever we would call that. So they're so from studying perspective, they have caught up what they're doing. Everybody's doing their best, you know, um, our curriculum, our medical school, our dean, all those, they're working with these uh, students. Patient care, um, we went from totally two different waves, went through when the COVID started, the clinic was closed for a few weeks, okay, just to kind of uh, regroup what we're going to do for about two weeks. And then I know, I don't remember exactly the date, but sometime in April it was, and most of our patients were virtual, okay. That was a learning curve for us, for our administrator and for our patients. You know, I used to feel... Really, I mean, the patients, and especially neurology patients, you know, some have memory issues, some have some other disabilities, and patients who are a little bit elderly and might not be that IT or, you know, tech savvy, those are all challenges. Right. And we all work through that. I know I would, I've never done it before that. I'll ask the patient, okay, it's like after hours time better for you, somebody else, your son would be there. I can call them and we can have visit at that time or telephone calls. Can we do it this time? Can we do it this way? Uh, going over patients with them. And I think more than us, the patients were kind of scared or did not know what's going to happen. You know, sure. for patients perspective, when they come to a doctor, they feel like the whole team there is to help them. And feeling like that, that there was the kind of some break in that, no matter how much we were connected. So we had to also encourage them and 
make sure that they knew that we are there. I mean, the care will not be affected. Right. And then it was kind of the mix started changing. More became in-person, a lot of care, how we were doing it. And then recently, I would say for last and before Omicron, I would say I might have the whole day, may not be even each day, one or two virtual visits, rest of them were in person. Okay, okay. We're following all those precautions, everything. And I was coming back, the whole country, but I would say healthcare providers and the whole team, I think we're going through different, you know, we have hope, we have courage, then we get frustrated. We also have sadness. There's something we have lost. Feel like there's something that lost, but at the personal level, I think it's gave me that I appreciate so the small things in life that I never appreciated before or kind of, it may be funny, but because uh, I was also covering the lab. So practically I just worked from home. Maybe I can count on my finger throughout all these two, almost two years. And I used to come on highway 40 and it was just so sad. I say, God, I will never complain if there's like traffic jam on highway 40. I just want all those people back. And I also say, I will never go home and complain I had too much work because I think those are beauties of life. I mean, that tells me that life is there. You know, I used to, sometimes I used to look at the buildings, huge, you know, and the smoke is coming out. And I said, thank God this factory is working. So I think we're going through the same thing. My first patient of COVID, I just kept on looking at his face. He was coming close. And I say, God, the world has just changed. You know, yes. it's just like, a, and we lost that patient. We lost many more patients than that. But then now lots of patients are doing so well too. So, yeah, there's a heaviness to it, I imagine. That's right. And, you know, as you're speaking, I'm hearing how important community is, you that know, is and, and that lack that you were feeling as you were driving to and from That's the right. lab, you know, it's, exactly. it's so important to know that we are in this together. And when we don't have that connection, it, it makes it heavier. That is correct. That's right. I mean, I'm, I'm just so moved by your attitude. <laughs> there are so many things that I have to believe are difficult and challenging and hard and sad and painful. And yet you are opting to look at the other side of it, which is where life is there. There's a lot of sadness and pain, but there's also life and hope and community and appreciation. And it is just wonderful to hear that that is where your starting place is. Because honestly, I think I can speak for a large part of the SLU community. We've been very worried about you all. So I'll give my own perspective from that from day one. Um, which would see in Europe and at night they were, you know, giving their gratitude to the healthcare. Yes. And to be honest, I said, it's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. We are mm-hmm. just doing what we're supposed to do. From my perspective, the gratitude is if a patient is better, you know, that's yeah. the best gratitude. Or if we save some patient, that's all we, it's so nice of people when they would come and say, and, you know, they were bringing plants and all those things because in this field when you come you don't look for shortcuts you know you're going to do the best possible for your patients and for the community which needs it so to be honest I don't know anybody whom I thought was taking shortcuts it was it is a team effort otherwise we will not survive nurses everybody your housekeeping 
everybody's yes. working together to keep it going. Yes. Your humility is amazing. As you say, we, we were just doing our job. Well, yes. And I think there's got to be a recognition that the unique gifts that you all have and the unique roles that the frontline workers have, whether it's healthcare, whether it's maintenance, whether it's service care providers, all of these different frontline worker roles, recognizing that there are skill sets and giftedness and trainings and experience that only you can bring to this current reality. I think that's where the rest of us sit back and say, I have nothing to bring to make this pandemic much better. So I will do my part. I remember this at the early days of the pandemic. I'll do my part by staying home. That's, that is correct. I was going to say no. The whole community, the whole country, the whole world, everybody has his or her part. Like you said, social distancing, whenever it is, I mean, which is, um, I strongly recommend get vaccinated, whatever the recommendations are, follow it. I fully understand when people say, that's what I recommend to my patient. I say, you know, we are also learning. This is a new virus, okay? So if what was recommended six months ago, it's changed, it's not that we don't know what we're doing, what we learn and what we think is the best possible evidence. That's what science is bringing to you. And that's all best we could do. I mean, that's the best tool. So everybody has a role here to play. From my perspective, everybody is a hero and everybody has to do his or her job. So that was, that was one of the questions I had prepared for this interview is the sign. We often see that heroes work here and you just kind of responded to that. Like we all have a role to play. That's right. Exactly. So then the standard question since mission matters is about how the SLU mission is alive and well in all the different corners of St. Louis University. How do you see your role and all the people you interact with at the med school, uh, in SLU care, all of it? How do you see that as an outgrowth of the identity of SLU and also as an expression of SLU's mission? So this one actually, I would say is probably encompasses maybe all of our mission, serving the community. Uh, where we are, most of our patients are either underserved or uninsured, underinsured, a lot of other challenges. So as healthcare providers and our social workers and our nurses and all that, we just take care of those patients. Another, our mission is finding new cures or improving. So research, you know, that's what it is. Research, it doesn't say that was another in two years. We're looking at how if that will be affected. Education. My success would be like when I'm gone, they're better physician than I am, whom I train. That will be that will be the success that so that is the mission, part of mission that we are training people who are going to be good physicians and we're training residents and fellows who will be be very productive and intellectual physicians in the community here or any part of the country or other parts of the world. Absolutely. Being men and women for and with others. That's right. That's right. All that happens down at South Campus is it's obvious how that's expressive of our mission. It's fantastic to be able to hear firsthand, you know, what it's like in the classroom, in the clinic, in the, the, clinic, in the lab. Right. Yeah, because when people think about 
medicine or practice for some reason for lots of non-medical people it's just the image is just a physician and a patient Mm -hmm. much more goes on here i mean much more is here that than just that research education administration a lot of other processes are going on too so i want to circle back to the beginning where we started what did your mother have to say after you became a doctor and you were working in this field Oh, as I said, my mom was very progressive. All four of us are successful because of her teaching and God's help and my father's support. So first, when I went to King Edward Medical College, my first year, so at that time, telephone was very expensive. So I wrote her a letter and I said, this is my address. And she just sent me just two sentences. She said, thank God that I'm writing the name of King Edward under your name. That's all. Oh. I mean, I mean, that's, she thought all her life, you know, what she was hoping for, it's been achieved. And then I came here and I always used to, from day one, I said, I, ha- I have to go to United States. I'm going to do my training residency and then I'll come back. So once we came here, she said, if you want, I mean, I understand whatever you're going to see you make. But then she came and visited and, She's the one, if you're talking about, she, she always taught us to be humble. She said, there were 10,000 reasons that we would not have been successful, but God creates pathway and then you keep on working hard and then you find your way. And she said, even if you don't find it, still be thankful because maybe it was not meant to be. So she was, I mean, the last time she came here, I, I was professor, everything. And she, she was, she was very happy. And then unfortunately she started having chest pain. So we had to admit to her to our hospital here. Oh my. So people would come because they knew she's my mom. They'd come and take care of her, everything. And she, she, she was very emotional. And then she just passed away four weeks after that here. So. Oh my. So she died here with you. She died. That's right. She died here. In some way, that's a, that's a gift, isn't it? That is very true. I tell, uh, so it's my, I'm here, my another brother who became doctor, the youngest one, he's in Minnesota. My sister, she is in political science. So she's a professor in Australia. And um, my one brother, he, he's the one who was working for government of Pakistan. Like uh, he was, he retired as ambassador. So he was in Canada that and we all different parts of the world. So she came here and I just keep on telling my brother, I'm the oldest, so I keep on telling him, I say, you know, in a way, God saved us from that guilt that if she would have died in Pakistan, all my life, I would have thought, oh my God, I should have brought her here. I could, we could have done something. And, but we did not know she had heart disease. I say, she was here, we found she has heart disease. We got everything done. And if still, she had to go, but at least the, her last breath, I was here. Oh my goodness. It's never easy to lose your mom. I, I, that is mom, but to be able to be near when it happens is a, is a gift. That's right. Yeah. I always say your mom and dad. I mean, they're like, I always say that if you feel like there's somebody's covering suddenly when I, she was gone, I just, that's the first time I said, I have to face this world myself. Do you have children yourself? Yeah, I have two. My daughter, she's a pediatrician at children's hospital here. She has two children. My son, he's an attorney. He is in LA. He's the younger one. Very good. So was she one of your students? Did she go to SLU med school no, or not? No, she, uh, see, in my home, I'm the only SLU person. Everybody ah. else is WashU. No, she, she went undergrad Northwestern. She went to med school at WashU. Wash then she did her residency there at Children. Okay. 
My son went undergrad at WashU. My son-in-law, my daughter's husband, did law at WashU. <laughs> my husband's you know, residency long time ago was, which at that time it was Jewish hospital, part of BJC. That's where he did that. So I'm the only one slew. Everybody else is from <laughs> WashU. Well, it's always good to have partnerships. We talk about building community. That's exactly. not just within SLU. That's all. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I learned something. It's a very important that in research, I think it should be in everywhere. There are no competitors. They're all collaborators. Absolutely. Otherwise, we don't move forward. We're always exactly. just moving in contrast. Exactly. That is correct. That's yes. Right. Well, Gazala, thank you so much for this time. I know that this is um, a very tight time frame for all of you as you're trying to juggle all these balls in the air at the same time. So I'm grateful for the time you've given us. Thank you for being with us. Is there anything else that you'd like to say before we click off? Well, as I say, don't lose hope. There's always, it will be better days to come. Just please get vaccinated. Please listen to whatever the recommendations come. That's all I'm going to say. And thank you very much. It was an honor talking to you. And that is advice well given and hopefully advice well taken uh, that we can spread around, not just to those who are listening, but to all those who are in our own spheres of influence. From the Office of Mission and Identity, thank you again, Dr. Hayat. And uh, until next time, for our listeners, please follow us on social media at Jesuit Mission. And if you know of a colleague who's living the SLU mission, but seems to be doing it hidden in plain sight, please let us know so we can be in touch with them and spotlight all the wonderful work that is going on. So until next time, let's remember, especially in this Ignatian year, that we are one SLU where mission matters. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And we are praying for you. We are absolutely praying for you. You can engage the mission intentionally here at SLU and you can encounter it randomly. But good luck graduating without ever touching it in some way. God bless everyone.